Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you're here today. My name's Scott. I'm the lead pastor here at The Bridge, and we are kicking off a three-week series called The Bridge of Hope. And over the next three weeks, we're going to talk about uh, just different ways that God is using The Bridge and, and plans to use The Bridge this next year, uh, both locally and globally. And so I'm glad you're here today as we're, we're kicking it off. And I want to ask you a couple of questions as we get started. Uh, the first question is this, what would you like to be known for? In your life, what would you like to be known for? In other words, when people, uh, when you're not around, you know, and, and your name comes up in a group, what images or thoughts do you hope that people have about you? Maybe that person says that you're generous or you're kind or, you know, she speaks right to my needs or, you know, she, he's energetic or he's a great entrepreneur or, you know, he's wise. Well, what kind of things do you want people to say, what do you want to be known for in your life? I don't know if you've ever thought about that, uh, but I think to some degree, all of us uh, want people to have good perceptions of us, and those perceptions can at times maybe uh, impact the way we live, um, but we want people to be thinking right things about us. What do you want to be known for? Well, the second question is this, what are you known for? What are you known for? Now, that may be a little bit harder to answer, uh, for you, but maybe the people around you that are spending the most time with you, maybe they could answer it for you. Uh, but what is it that you're truly known for? And so the truth is in between those two questions, what would I like to be known for? And what am I known for? There's always going to be a gap. There's, there's no such thing as a perfect person or a perfect organization. Uh, there's always going to be a little bit of a gap that we're always, in, the goal should be that we're always trying to, either as a person or whatever organization you're involved in, we're always trying to bring that gap, to shrink it down, to bring those two questions closer. Uh, what do I want to be known for? What I, what I am known for? The more those are in alignment, the closer they get, the more we live with a sense of purpose. Uh, and the more that purpose gets to be shared and, and people begin to understand it. What is it that you want to be known for? Do you like to be known for? And what is it that you're actually known for? We started off this year with a, a series of messages we called the best year ever. And we basically said for this to be the best year ever, it's going to be a year that you can look back on and you can see that you lived this year with a sense of purpose. That you lived this year uh, basically investing into the lives of other people that you can see where your life had some kind of an impact in another person's life and you feel a sense of purpose and significance because of what you've done. If you can look back on a year and say, I can see that and I've lived with a sense of purpose, then, then that in fact would be one of the best years probably most of us could say that we've ever lived. And maybe that purpose comes in line with bringing those two questions of what I'd like to be known for and what I am known for into, you know, shrinking that gap down a little bit and allowing us to live with a sense of purpose. You know, um, the longer I've been involved in church life and, and being a part of churches, it seems like that more often than not, people, when they think about church, think about Christians, uh, more often than not, people are more familiar with what churches are against as opposed to what churches are for. In fact, if you ask there's random people on the street, you know, can you tell me something that the churches or Christians are against? 
they could probably give you a list without really thinking real hard, you know. And maybe it's things they've heard or maybe it's things they've read or, or whatever. But they could probably, you know, just kind of rattle off a few things that, you know, they're against this, against this, against If you then turned and said, well, what do you think the Christians or churches are for? Let me think about that. Can you come back to that? You know, it, might, it may take a little bit of time to come up with something if they come up with anything. Because it seems like, at least from my per perspective, the longer I've been involved in churches, it seems like that people are more familiar with what churches are against than what churches are for. And the truth is, when Jesus came onto the scene in the New Testament, it was a climate similar to what we have today in our world. There was a religious system in place. There was a with religious leaders in place. And the religious system that was in place, the Jewish religious system, was, seemed to be a very legalistic kind of system. Uh, it seemed to be a system that felt, I'm sure to people, out of touch with who they are and their needs that they had in their life. There were religious leaders who seemed to point out more of what God was against than what God was for. And it left the people a lot of times feeling beaten down, discouraged, disillusioned a little bit. And, and then Jesus comes onto the scene and Jesus, he's just doing things that are different. I mean, he is a religious leader. He's a rabbi. He's, he's viewed as a religious leader and a teacher, but he's just different. He's doing things that, that, that other religious leaders just would not do. And when you look at the Gospel of Matthew, it's the very first book in the New Testament. Uh, Matthew begins writing about somebody. He's writing about the life of, of Christ. And in chapters 8 and 9, he just begins walking through different things that Jesus was doing. And all of these things were just out of character for a religious leader in that day. As Jesus travels along, uh, we see him uh, meeting the needs of and, and, and cleansing or healing of a man with leprosy. Now, leprosy in that day was viewed as something highly contagious. In fact, people with leprosy, the skin disease, they were forced out of cities to live in their own colonies so they wouldn't spread that to other people. And so religious leaders wouldn't even go around them, much less touch them. And Jesus walks up, touches a man with leprosy and heals him. Something that was out of character for religious leaders in that day. He also healed a servant of a Roman commander, not a Jewish person, but a Roman commander healed the servant of that person. He raised a little girl from the dead. He goes to, um, uh, he, he, he raises, uh, he heals Peter, who's a follower of Christ. He raises his mother-in-law or, or heals his mother-in-law who was sick. He uh, goes to Matthew. Now, Matthew's writing the gospel of Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. Now, it's not like the tax collectors today. They just have somewhat of a favorable. You don't really know who they are, but you write checks to them. And, and, and it's not like that. Back in that day, these tax collectors were by and large Jewish people. They were hired by Roman authorities. They taxed their own people, the Jewish people. They taxed them at whatever rate they wanted to, and they would give Rome whatever Rome required, and they would take a cut off the top. And so these tax collectors were viewed very, very negatively. They were viewed like traitors, like dogs, like scum. And most of them, if they ever had any contact with a religious leader, because see, they were forbidden to go even into the synagogue or the temple to worship. And so if they ever had any contact with a religious leader, it was that leader coming up to rebuke them for what they did. Jesus walked up to Matthew at his tax collecting booth, 
not only did he not rebuke Matthew, he asked him to come and be a follower. And the religious leaders are just going nuts about this. They're walking around following Jesus and just criticizing everything he's doing because he was touching a lot of the untouchables. He would spend time with people that religiously, respectable religious leaders just wouldn't do. And he was traveling around doing all of these things and just, you know, raising the ire of so many of these religious leaders in that system that day. And Matthew kind of reports in, in Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35, he says this. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news about the kingdom and healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. So Jesus is traveling around. He's preaching good news about the kingdom, healing all the, the diseases and sicknesses of the people that he came in contact with. And it was as if Jesus was traveling around showing that sometimes religious leaders and religious systems may not give an accurate portrayal of who God the Father really is. And because the scripture says that Jesus came as God in the flesh, fully God, God in a body. He, part of the reason of him coming was to give an accurate portrayal of who God the Heavenly Father truly is. What God thinks, how God acts, what God would say in certain situations, and the lengths that God is willing to go to have a relationship with us. And so Jesus travels around and people are watching him and, 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 and he's giving this portrayal, this is who God really is. This is what God really thinks. This is what God is willing to do for you. This is what God desires most in having a relationship with you. He's showing all of these things. And now the system and the religious leaders in place, they didn't like it. But it's because they weren't really given the accurate perception of who God truly is at heart. And then he says this in the very next verse, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were hurting, distressed, helpless, and discouraged like sheep without a shepherd. But these people are under the religious system and the religious leaders. How did they feel so helpless and discouraged and, and beaten down like sheep without a shepherd? They had people in charge. And Jesus, it says, when he saw them... The, the, the New Testament is written in the language, the Greek language, okay... And sometimes the Greek language has nuances to words and things that just the English translation doesn't quite capture. When it says that he saw them, it's not just like he got a visual, like I can see you guys. It's like he saw behind the circumstances of their life. He saw with a level of understanding in their life. So like when he looked at Matthew, the tax collector, he didn't just look at Matthew like most religious leaders and see a traitor, see scum, see someone that's, you know, going against his own people. He, he didn't look at Matthew with contempt at all. He looked at Matthew and saw, this is a guy that needs forgiveness. This is a guy that needs friends. And he looked at him and said, listen, I want you to come be a part of my group, be a part of my disciples, and I'll be your friend. He looked at people with a level of understanding, looked behind their circumstances See, so often we see people and we look at the circumstances that we see and we're pretty quick to make our judgment, make our assessments about who they are, what they're about, what led to whatever they're experiencing at the moment. 
But Jesus was able to see beyond that. He saw with a level of understanding, but then more interestingly than that, is that it said he had compassion. Now there's different words in the Greek that could be used for compassion, but this word that's used for compassion, the root of this word is connected to a word that means bowels, which just is really, really interesting. You know what I'm saying? Like, like bowels, what does that have to do with compassion? And here's the connection, okay, you ready? When your bowels begin to move, it requires action on your part, right? I mean, when they begin to move, you don't just sit there and go, ah, no big deal. It's going to sit here for a little while. No, 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 no. It requires you to do something, okay? And the truth is, every time Jesus was moved with compassion, it moved him to action. See, real compassion is not something that you can just sit back and do nothing. Real compassion requires action on your part. You can't just look on a person. You can't see behind a little bit behind their, their situation and with a level of understanding and have real compassion and go, ah, no big deal. Whatever. I'm not doing anything. No, real compassion moves you. You have to do something. So when you look at a person and you have this like unfiltered, unconditional kind of compassion. You want to do anything you can to try to meet those needs. You want to do anything you can to try to let that person know you can trust me. You can lean into me. I'm there for you. I'll meet your needs. That's what you want to do. That's what real compassion causes us to do. You can't just walk away from that situation and do nothing. And every time Jesus was moved with compassion, it moved him to action. He couldn't leave that person still in their situation. He had to do something to try to help them. And so he said, he looked on the crowds. He was moved with compassion. And he began meeting the needs of their life. And see what Jesus did and what Jesus offered most is something that the world nor the religious system of that day could offer. What he was offering these people is this word, hope. He offered them hope. It's something that the world couldn't provide for him and it's something that the religious system was not providing for him. And so everywhere he went, as he made it clear, this is who God is, this is what God's about. He left them with hope, hope for a better future, hope for a brighter eternity, hope for better relationships. Hope for things to look better in their lives. Hope to be able to overcome the failures of their past. Hope to be able to get beyond the shame and the regret of decisions that you've made. He offered hope. And hope was something that was desperately needed. You see, the truth is, you know, you... Hope is something so critical to our lives because you can go for days without food. You can, go for, you can go for weeks without food. You can go for days without water. You can go for seconds without air. But you nor I can live without hope. When we lose hope and we can't find any hope at all, we will lose the will to live. We all need hope. 
And it's the one thing that Jesus was able to offer. And everywhere he went, as he looked on people with compassion, as he made himself available to them, as he sought to meet their needs, he left them with hope. And hope was vital. Hope was critical to what they needed at that time. And it's critical to us today. And see, hope, when I say hope, sometimes we get that confused. Sometimes we kind of think of hope like wishful thinking. You know, like, I hope this is going to happen, you know. Like, I hope to live a long life and nothing bad ever happen. I hope to break par in golf. I hope to get a bunch of good gifts for my birthday, which is November 14th, by the way. <laughs> See, all of those things are just wishful thinking, right? Wishful thinking. I don't have any confidence any of those things are going to happen. I mean, there's no way to, to have confidence that I'm going to live this life without anything, you know, bad happening, right? If you've ever seen me play golf, you know I'm not going to break par. So that's not going to happen. Still kind of hope for the gifts, though. But anyway, but, but it's just wishful thinking, right? There's no confidence that any of those things are going to happen. But the truth is about this hope that, that, that we find in the Scripture that Jesus offers, that God our Heavenly Father offers, it is the kind of hope that has a confident expectation that what is being said will come true because it's not based in me. It's not based on what I can do. You know, like optimism, you know, optimism is kind of like psychology. It's kind of like, you know, just think positively, power positive thinking. It's based on what you can do, what, how you can change your situation. Well, hope is not psychology. Hope is theology, this kind of hope. Because it's based in God. It's based in who, what he can do. It's based on the promises that he's made. It's based on what he's already been willing to do for your life and what he says he'll do in the future. It is a confident expectation that what God has promised, he will do. And it impacts my life today. It impacts my decisions of yesterday. And it impacts where I go in the future. This is the kind of hope that Jesus was leaving with people. And as critical as it was in the time of Jesus, I would tell you it's no less critical today. You say, why would you say that? And here's the main reason. Hope is always crucial when life is broken. When life feels broken, the one thing you want most is hope. And you know what? A lot of us in this room have experienced some broken parts of life, right? And why is that? Because there's no such thing as a perfect person. There's no such thing as a, as a perfect relationship, a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect job. There's no such thing as, a, as, as you know, your body working perfectly, right? It's going to break down. There's no such thing as, as having all of life go perfectly, there's no such thing as having a perfect dream that comes true. And so what that does to us when we experience some of these parts of life, when, when things don't happen the way we had hoped and, and things don't come true the way we were hoping and that relationship's not working out and this job fell through and all those things begin to happen, we experience brokenness. 
broken dreams, broken lives, broken relationships. And when brokenness is, a, is around, when brokenness is there, when we feel broken, man, hope is crucial in those moments. And I can tell you this, I, I, with all of us sitting in this room, I guarantee you there's some of us in here today who feel broken. There's some of us going through broken situations right now in this room. Now, we put on a good face because we're coming, especially around church people. We don't let them know we're going through something bad, right? But you're experiencing brokenness, experiencing a difficult time in your life. What you want more than anything is hope. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow. We're not even talking about hope for eternity or hope for heaven when you die. You just want to be able to get up tomorrow and live tomorrow. It's crucial. And outside of these walls, we're surrounded by people every day who experience broken parts of life. And they need hope. They need to know that there's hope out there. And if you're a Christ follower, listen, you're going to experience things in life. There's no guarantees for us. Jesus never made a guarantee that everything in life was going to go great. Never made that promise. In fact, he will use the difficulties in life for our own good. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5, he says this. We rejoice in our suffering. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? Who does that? We rejoice in our sufferings because... We know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He says there are times that we're going to go through difficult times. We're going through sufferings, what Paul says. But those sufferings produces something in our life. It produces perseverance. And that perseverance produces our character. And that character gives us hope. And that hope will not disappoint us. And see, the reality is none of us can mature in comfort. You can't mature physically in comfort. You can't mature emotionally in comfort. And you can't mature spiritually in comfort either. If you think about physically, you want to get your body in better shape. You can't do that in a recliner. You can't do that by watching exercise programs, right? I, I, we wish we could, right? Diet Coke and a Snicker and watch the exercise program, get in better shape. But we, all, we, but we can't do that, right? We can't get better in comfort. We can't mature either in comfort. We will have to experience some difficult parts of life. And there are times that God allows us to do that. But when we go through difficulty, what's the first thing we say? God, get, the, get me out of this. God, if you love me, you won't let me go through this. Change him, change her, do this, do that. Get me away from all of this. Because none of us like to be uncomfortable. None of us wake up every day and say, God, would you please allow me to go through something difficult today? Would you please allow me to suffer today? None of us do that. We would probably lock you up if you were praying those kind of things. But there are times that God allows that because he knows that those times in our life where we press into him, it produces perseverance. And that perseverance began to produce character in our life. And that character gives us hope. And that hope will not disappoint us because later on down the road, when something else comes up, we look back on those other times in our life and we see that God was with us all the way. And we see that every promise that he made to us, he fulfilled as we walk through those difficult times. And now when we face those in the future, we have hope. 
And it doesn't disappoint us because we know who God is. And we know what he's been willing to do in our lives. Hope is crucial when life feels broken. Matthew continues on. And he, and he talks about what Jesus said to the disciples. He says this in verses 37 and 38. It says, then, then he, Jesus, said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's basically saying, listen, as you look around, there are people everywhere that need to be viewed with understanding. And you need to have compassion for them. You need to be willing to meet their needs. You need to be willing to go and to share with them what God is willing to do for them. That God is willing to forgive their past. Help them to overcome all the decisions and the shame and the regret of their past. And help them to live a different life in the future. He's also provided a home for them in heaven someday. In a relationship with me. You are to go out there and share this. You are to be those people out in the harvest sharing these things. He, he said in a different place in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, he says, he's talking to the disciples again, and he's talking to these disciples, but it translates to us today. He says, you are the light of the world. Now, if I were to ask you, who do you think is the light of the world? Now, most of the Christians in here would probably say Jesus. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, hey, guys, listen up. I am the light of the world. No, 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 no. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. I came to fulfill a mission that was to die for you. You will be left. You then go. And you are the light of the world as you live for me. So he said, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see that so that everyone will praise your heavenly father. He says, you go around the way you live your life, the way you give your life away, it should reflect who God is in such a way that people are, are, are standing back going, wow, I've got to know more about this God. I've got to know more about what you have in your life. It should so reflect who God is that it just becomes contagious that people want to know more and more about him. Peter comes along later in the New Testament and he writes a couple of letters in the New Testament. In 1 Peter, he says this. He says in, verses, in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. He says there should be something about your life as a Christ follower that reflects hope in such a way that people want to know about it. That when they come in contact with you, that, that, that they see so much hope in your life. They're like, what in the world? How do you reflect so much hope? You got to tell me what's going on. I, I need to know. And the reality is hope is contagious. It wasn't the day of Jesus. As Jesus walked, and people were flocking to him because they were leaving there feeling hopeful and not hopeless. Hope is contagious. And as we reflect the accurate portrayal of who Christ is, it will be contagious in our life as well. That's why he says, do this with gentleness and respect. In other words, you don't have to go around continuing to point, 
put your finger in people's chest telling them what they're doing wrong. As you accurately reflect the hope that's in you from Christ, they'll just naturally want to know. It's contagious. You know, we talked about a moment ago. Most people, when they're asked about how they view churches or Christianity, they're more familiar with what churches are against as opposed to what we're for. And I really want us to work hard at changing that perception. In fact, in fact, what we want to do here is we want people, the perception of people when they come in contact with the bridge, that they walk away feeling like this was a bridge of hope. I mean, this was a bridge that leads to a hopeful place that every time they come in contact with us, any of us who are part of the bridge, that they leave us feeling filled with hope and hopeful as opposed to hopeless. That as we go throughout the community serving people, as we try to do good for people, that we leave and when we leave, they, they feel hopeful. We don't leave and they go, man, that was hard. That was beat. I feel beaten down. I feel discouraged. But they feel filled with hope because they've been in contact with us. That we want to be a bridge that leads to this place of hope. Apostle Paul also writes in the book of Galatians. In Galatians, the New Testament, Galatians 6, verse 9 through 10, he says, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. So we have a ministry here at the bridge we call Do Good. And it's a ministry where we partner with people locally and we partner with, with people around the globe. And we go into different places and we just try to do good. We just try to do some good for the people there. And, in, and the hope in that is that that it would open up a door for us to share with them why it is that we're doing these things. Why is it that you're here? Why is it that you're serving me? Why is it that you're willing to do these things? And it gives us an opportunity just to say, man, there is a God who loves you, who loves us. And out of his grace and his mercy, he's changed our life through a relationship with his son. And that's why we're here. We don't want anything from you. We just want to do something for you. We just want to do some good for you. And it gives us a chance to share with them this incredible God that we serve. This merciful, loving, gracious God that wants to have a relationship with us and with them. And so we just go and we try to do some good for people. And that's what we have set up out there in the lobby. It's the Do Good Fair. It's just all the different partnerships that we have locally and around the globe. And in a few moments when we get out of here, I encourage you to go by if you haven't. Just check out some of those and see all the things that, that, that God is using the bridge to be a part of and in this next year that are used to be a part of. And, and over the next couple of weeks in this series, I want to share with you in a little bit more detail of different ways that God is going to call us and use us in this next year to do good, to, be a, to hopefully build a bridge of hope to people uh, locally and around the globe. But before, as we wrap up this morning, I just want to give you three things that you can do in the way of sharing hope with people. Three things that you can do. Uh, we're going to talk more about do good and things like that uh, in the next couple of weeks. But just in the way of general, every day of your, of your life, things that you can do 
to be a, a bridge of hope, to share hope with people. And if you kind of think about hope in a way that, that people are desperate for it, and if they get it, they just devour it, and they want more, I'm going to give you the acrostic eat, okay? And this helps you know that people need to eat hope, all right? So the first one is E. It stands for encouragement. Encouragement. How many of you had too much encouragement lately? Just raise your hand. I just, man, if I get encouraged one more time, I'm going to puke. I just can't handle any more encouragement, right? Yeah, I didn't think so. You, you know what the international sign is of a person that needs encouragement? It doesn't matter if they're here in the U.S. or around the globe. It's, a, it's the same sign. It's an international sign. When you see this in a person, you know they need encouragement. They're breathing, okay? Anybody that you see that's breathing, if they're not breathing... They probably don't need the encouragement. But if they're breathing, they need encouragement. And all of us need encouragement. There's no way we get encouraged too much, right? Have you ever been pulled over by a police officer? And he said, hey, hey, just wanted to pull you over tell you how great you're driving. That's it. No problems. Keep, keep going. Doing great. Students, you ever been called? Principal's office? Every time you get your name called out, you're like, oh, man, what's going on? You get up there and the principal say, hey, no, 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 no. It's all good. I just want to tell you you're doing a great job as a student. That's it. Keep up the good work. Do you ever get too much encouragement? Nobody ever gets too much encouragement. If you're breathing, you need encouragement. Well, why don't we spend time being encouragers? I mean, when you see something, say something. When, when, when you, and, and you know what we do? We talk ourselves out of it. We go, oh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, that, you know, it's just a little small thing that person did. I mean, if I say something, they're probably going to go, oh, whatever, that's just my job. I don't, I don't need the praise. You know, everybody needs it, okay? Even if they tell you, oh, that's just my job, I don't need the praise, whatever, you need it. I need it, okay? So everybody does, and it doesn't matter how small or insignificant it is. We spend a lot of our time finding things to let them know that they're not doing right. What if we just spend a little bit of time pointing out things that they're doing right? encouragement we all need it and every time you encourage someone through the things you say or the things you do it spreads a little bit of hope that maybe they're doing something right maybe there's something to look forward to encouragement is e the a stands for availability availability and, and you know what availability this is really more of a mindset because the truth is, if I ask anybody in here, how many of you just available anytime, day or night? Nobody is going to raise their hand because all of us begin thinking, oh, I got too much going on. Man, I have my schedule, my work, my, all, the, all these obligations. There's no way. I can't do it. Sorry. None of us are really available. We're all busy. We're all under time constraints. We can come up with 69 reasons why we can't do anything. We're not available. It's a mindset. Because the truth is, you're available to do whatever it is you want to do. We're so unavailable, but we got time to do certain things. It's just a mindset, okay? What if, what if, especially if you're a Christ follower in here today, what if you just looked at God and said, God, you have blessed me with all that I have. You have blessed me with the opportunities I've had. You've blessed me with the the gifts and abilities and talents that I have. You've, give, you've blessed me with the, the finances, the treasures, the possessions that I have. You've blessed me with all these things. You poured them into my hands. What if we just said, I'm going to keep my hands open? I'm not going to squeeze them. And I'm going to say, no, 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 it's mine. 
I'm just going to leave my hands open. Say, say, God, I'm just available. I want to be available to you. I want to be available with my life, with my talents, with my gifts, with my treasures, all those things. I want to be available to you. And God, I need you to help me find ways I can be available and be used. Because right now, I don't know how that's going to happen, but I want to be available. My hands are open to you. I promise you, if you will look at God and say, my hands are open, I'm available, he will help you find a way to be available. It's all a mindset. And it starts with us saying, God, I want to be available to you. I want to be available to be used by you. To spread some hope in this world. And to make a difference in people's lives. Encouragement available and the t stands for time it's kind of like available but time it, you know it takes time to be a friend it takes time to talk with people it takes time to meet people's needs it takes time to serve people and it takes time to share hope it just takes time and here's what i know about you and here's what i know about me we will spend all kind of time in the course of a day a week a year and a lot of that time may benefit some of the people around us it may benefit our families a little bit but primarily it's going to benefit me it's just the truth nothing wrong with admitting that most of my time I spend is going to benefit me okay what if and here's the thing about that as you look back on the course of your year Okay, great. Your life was benefited by your time and maybe your family a little bit. But that's probably, you know, you're kind of closing that circle up. But if you spend the time, some of that time investing into others, some of that time sharing in the needs of others, some of that time being available, some of that time having compassion on other people, some of that time being a friend, listening to someone, you will never, ever regret the time you spend doing that because now it's not only impacted your life, it's impacted your family's life and it's impacted all the people's lives that you spread hope to. And you will never look back on that time and say, oh man, I can never recoup that time. Man, I wish I could do that over. No, 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 no. The time that you spend investing in the lives of other people will always be a time that you never regret spending. And it will impact positively your life and the people around you. Because you're becoming a bridge of hope. The Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. It's been one of my favorite verses for a long time. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It tells me, first of all, that God is a God of hope. He's the one that instills us with hope. He's the one that pours hope into our life. He says, may the God of hope fill us with joy and peace. How do I have more joy? How do I get more peace in this life? Life's filled with chaos, turmoil. How do I have more peace and joy? I trust in him because he's the God of hope. And as I trust more and more in him, he's gonna fill my life with those kinds of things to the point where my life is gonna overflow with hope. And as my life overflows with hope, it's just going to spill out on everybody. And everybody I come in contact with, they're going to have a little taste of hope. And that hope becomes contagious and more and more people want to know about it. And pretty soon they're going to ask me, what about your hope? And I'm going to be ready to give an answer for the hope that I have. What if we spend 
our time being a bridge of hope to people who desperately need hope, who are looking for hope, who are experiencing broken parts of their life. Would you join me in making a difference in this world and building a bridge of hope to people who desperately need it? Would you pray with me?